Good morning, everyone. How are you? Sound tired. <laughs> the Bills are playing at one. Come on, guys. <laughs> oh, man. So welcome home series. Uh, it's pretty awesome. First, it's awesome to be invited uh, back. I love speaking here. When I get the chance to speak, uh, I just, it's, it is like coming home. It's fun. I, there's a lot of fresh new faces and there's a lot of old faces. And I just, I'm always embraced when I come here. And that's what home is. When, when, I, when I come in here, people love on me. They encourage me. Man, it's cool. So I never say no to getting the chance to speak the heart of God over you guys. Um, he's just impacted me so much this week, the last couple weeks preparing for this, there's just so much rattling around in my heart and in my head. And, and I just leave it to the Holy Spirit to just communicate what he has for you. So Father God, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to invade this place. Lord, to just touch every single heart in here. May your word, only your word be heard, Lord. I just pray that you just speak through your word and just let them know of the importance of your love for this body, praise fellowship. We just thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're talking about Welcome Home series. Uh, it, home uh, is a big deal. It's a huge part of who we are. And uh, I remember uh, when I first got saved, uh, recommitted my life, like it's the first time I literally gave in to the Holy Spirit and just allowed to be led by God. Uh, I went to a church because uh, it was local. I was a little bit younger and I was like, like to wake up late and only have to drive a couple minutes. So I picked a church that's close to my house. And uh, the pastor was sitting there and it was, I grew up in the church, but this was the first time like the Lord had literally wrecked me that week. So it was a couple days later. I'm like, first Sunday, man, like you're on fire. The Holy Spirit touched you. Like I'm giving it all to God this Sunday. I go to church and I swear the first thing this guy, the pastor, amazing pastor, he just leaned in, started preaching. And he says, and if you're here for any reason, he's like, if you've come from anywhere else, go home, go home. And I was just like, whoa, I'm like, I just got saved, man. Like, what are you talking about? Go home. And I was like, this is crazy. That's not what I remember church like. But what he was saying is, is that your home, your church body is your family. And if you've left your family, there's a million reasons why people go places. And we all take it with a grain of salt. You know, we visit places and whatever, but there's connections created there's relationships created, there's accountability maintained, there's just a bunch of things that come in a church body that aren't present in the world, right? And our homes are in our actual lives, we you know with our families and stuff, uh, they're, they're a smaller unit, but this is the corporate body, the ecclesia, this is the gathering of the saints, you know? And uh, what he was saying is, is like, you, you're missed. Wherever you came from, they miss you. They love you, they have a heart for you, and they care about you. So like, one of the first lessons, the first sermon, hey, that's a pretty good thing to brag about. I remember the first sermon I ever heard when I got saved, but um, the first sermon was, was go home, right? But, but that stuck with me, and ever since then, I've thought about the importance of the bodies I'm a member of. It matters. 
The body that surrounds you matters. The people that are here, man, I will tell you, it is about sanctification, purification, and righteousness. The Lord will place people that will just rub you the wrong way. He'll put people around you that just say things that you don't really want to hear at that time. And, but it's stretching, and it's good, and it's wholesome. But deep down inside, he just wants you to be home and just to value where you are. And if anything, the Holy Spirit wants you today to look at yourself and look at the people around you and value where you are today. Take stock of who's around you. You may not talk, but I'll tell you, when something happens and the chips are down, those people will be there for you. They'll speak into your life. They'll build you up. They'll speak words over your life. They'll pray for you. They'll jump into things. Um, so getting into this, what is home? Home's a super complex thing. It's, it's key to who we are as people. It's personal. Uh, it's a huge concept for all of us. Home looks different for everybody. And so it does in the church as well. Some homes are happy. Some homes aren't. Some homes have problems. Some don't. Some are closer. Some aren't. Like everybody's vision of their home and their family isn't exactly the same. And that's the true same thing for the church, the people of God. There's things that the people go through on a journey together. And the Lord takes you through. He's faithful to walk with you, each and every one of you, on that journey to where we're eventually going home. All right? So make no mistake about it. Praise Fellowship is your home, but this is not our home. No. Right? That's our home. That's the eventual thing that we all get to hope and lean into is that there is an eternal home for all of us that's been created and prepared for us, okay? So our family unit, just to touch on this, because I really think it's important to say, the family unit is literally the smallest form of government in this country. Everything starts in your home. Take it serious. I, I'm a new dad. I'm eight months in. I've never made so many mistakes in my whole life already. Like, the ones that I'll even admit, like, I'm telling Kate, I'm like, I don't know what I did. I'm such a fool. Like, like it's crazy. Eight months in. But that is the smallest unit of government. If you want to change the country, start leading your home. And then those kids will lead homes. And they'll lead homes. And they'll lead communities. And they'll lead states and governments, okay? The home is the smallest form of government. And I heard a podcast once where the guy said, what happens in your house matters more than what happens in the White House. All right? So hold on to that and take that. Uh, and it's super vital to the kingdom and the growth of the kingdom that we're passing on good spirit-filled DNA to the people who come into our home to visit us, to have meals with us, just to come over to do work on our house, whatever. We have to represent the kingdom of God in our home and let that bleed into our communities until our community is home, until our state is home and our government is home. But throughout the duration of this, uh, I kind of want you to get the picture of home as like uh, in terms of assembly. Again, like the Ecclesia, the church family. And I want you to kind of understand that we're bound together. There's so much stuff 
that the word of God speaks about home and family and church and the gathering and the saints. There is just so much that you could dive into, and I won't do that to you. Uh, but that's on your own. It's on your own to go digging in there. But I want to turn to uh, Psalm 127. So if you're a flipper or a scroller, go to Psalm 127. We'll pull like the first two verses. There's so much packed in there. Uh, this is a scripture that gives us a picture through the eyes of Solomon, the wisdom king, of God's hand in building something. So that could be like a home, a house, a family unit, a business. The actual translation in Greek for house in verse 1 means anything. So it can be anything. It could be a home. It could be a business. It could be a church. And that's kind of where I'm leaning. That's kind of what the Lord put on my heart. We take building a ministry and a church so very seriously that sometimes we allow it to hurt us if it doesn't go the way that we want it to. So, 127, uh, this is Solomon's account of how God builds a home or the church or the assembly of God's citizens. And uh, it, there's a debate whether it was written by David for Solomon or whether it was Solomon that wrote it. I tend to believe that it was Solomon uh, because he built great and mighty things. God blessed him with so much, and he had so much wisdom. So I believe that this is Solomon's account of God's hand in building something great and mighty. This is how God builds. So it starts out, the label is laboring and prospering with the Lord. That's that's, that's <laughs> Those... Uh, the titles were added after to help us find things so that we could go through and when they split it up. So uh, I think it's a really awesome way to start this off. Laboring and prospering with the Lord. Anything worth doing requires work, I think. I think that God uh, gave us a picture in Genesis 2.15. In the very, very beginning, the first lesson God gave his people is he gave Adam a job. He's like, you will work and you will keep. Work and keep is a part of our DNA as the people of God. As the created people of God, we were given jobs and we have an obligation to serve and maintain the things that God has put in our hands. It's stewardship, right? You all, those of you that have families, everybody here is related to somebody or you wouldn't be here, right? So listen, there is work to do in your families. And there is keeping and maintaining that's required as a part of that. Sometimes that works fun. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes someone does it for you. Sometimes it looks like reconciliation. Sometimes it looks like humility. Sometimes it looks like making peace when it's absolutely miserable. Like, we all have those weird uncles and estranged brothers and sisters and cousins and stuff. Like, we all have those situations. Everybody has those situations. So, too, does the body of God. We have people who are no longer here. We have people who are elsewhere who have the same DNA, who've been wounded, who've been hurt, who've been lost. We've been this close to seeing the Lord seal the deal in lives, touch people's hearts, and for some reason, the enemy swept them away. There's work to be done 
and there's things to be keeping. Laboring and prospering with the Lord starts with laboring. You labor with the Lord. You are not to do it alone. And you will prosper because that is who our God is. Our God is a victorious king who breaks chains and frees people and heals people and brings the lost back. He prospers, and by way of a relationship with him, you too will prosper. This church will prosper. This area will prosper. It says in verse 1, unless the Lord builds a house, which, again, that means a house, a family, a dynasty. It could be a business or a ministry. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Surely Solomon, of all people, understood what it took to build something. He knew what it was like to see the hand of God do something miraculous. And it goes on to say, the Lord God, uh, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. The payload in these verses are, unless the Lord builds it, we are laboring in vain. Every single day, our intentions can be great. We can be led by the Spirit to do things, but God does the heavy lifting, and we prosper because of it. And if we listen to him and we get close with him and we work on our relationships with God, we will grow, and he will do the work. He will build this church. He will build this community. He will build our country. He'll build us. If the Lord guards the city, the watchmen, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So this is important because we are consumed with making things happen. I think in our country, we have this like get it done attitude. We're very driven, result oriented. I am the most guilty. I tell everybody the peril of preaching is that God hammers your heart first before he'll ever let you share it. I'm, I'm result-oriented. I have to see results, or else I get bogged down, I get discouraged, I get sometimes wounded, I, like, I get insecure about things, like whatever. Like if I don't see fruit from work and labor, I give up. I get burned out, I get tired, I get discouraged, and I start to question my intellectual knowledge and the heart knowledge of who and what God is, okay? So there are times that I, I feel really compelled to communicate that there are times in our lives when we look around ourselves in our families and we survey what's going on in our families, in our work lives, in our church lives, ministries, whatever's going on. And if God isn't hitting the marks exactly how we expect him to or delivering exactly when and what we think we should be getting, we lose heart. And sometimes we give up. And it's hard. But the Lord is the one who labors. The Lord is the one who guards what we're doing. He is the one that we call on to protect us from the enemy and to fill us. It's vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Now, I love this because there's a vanity of self-reliance on the strength of man uh, we believe that we are doers. We believe that we're the ones that make things happen. We believe that when we do stuff, 
that it's by our own doing and our own talent and our own strength and our own cunning and our own wit. It's all given to us by God, but sometimes, and this isn't an exhortation, this is just speaking of the people of Israel back then and it's speaking about the body of Christ now. As Christians, we forget who's doing the work, who's doing the work, who's freeing people, who's breaking chains, who's delivering people, who's doing miracles around us every single day, all day long, and we miss it. We miss it so many times. It's vain for us to get up, run around in a fury, trying to figure things out, thinking that we're going to do this. And, the, and it says the bread of sorrows, which is directly translated to envy, it's desires for advancement, it's greed and it's power and all these things, these things that are impure, that are in our hearts, that the enemy, the, the result of the fall, we are all corrupted. And Lord, the Lord works with us anyway. He partners with us. He labors with us. And we prosper despite the fact that we are deeply broken. Hurt people hurt people too. That's another thing. Like, like whatever, families and businesses and churches, we wound one another because we're insecure sometimes. Sometimes we're hurt. We envy for what someone else has. And it's vain for us to think that we're going to do something in any of these places in our lives on our own. We need to submit everything to God. So the big part of this is, is that it requires, it, the whole undertaking of anything you do in your life requires total and complete dependence on God and God alone. No church is ever going to be built because you have the right pastor, the right ministers, the right sound, the right flags, the right lights. It's because the Lord of hosts is present and he's touching his people and he's speaking through people and he's freeing you and you're growing and you're thriving and you are replicating the image of Jesus Christ in creation every day. Laboring and prospering with the Lord, I found in my short time of walking with the Lord, I don't have 42 years of walking with him, um, but laboring and pros uh, prospering with the Lord is hard. Laboring, you don't always know what's happening. You don't always get to see the full picture. You don't always understand what he's up to. And then when it's time to reap the fruit, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always look the way you thought it would. It's just, I, I, this scripture was brought to me because I wanted to communicate to you that the Lord is the one doing the heavy lifting in this ministry. He's doing the heavy lifting in your homes. He's doing it in your workplaces. It's not us. But the closer you get to God in those places and the more dedication you have to pursuing the likeness of Jesus Christ, the more power and authority and healing and just impact you're going to have on the world around you. It all starts there. And this is basically a kind of gut check for the people of God of what God's doing and that he is partnering with us even though we're deeply flawed and deeply broken and lacking in so many places. But he's promising you that you will prosper. You will prosper. It's going to be amazing. So I want to tie this in to the next part that he's, uh, he's led me to. And that is Hebrews 11, verse 8. This, I think, is the payload 
to what we're talking about. So how does this tie into home? Home is really, it's anywhere that you are with people that you love. I mean, home is a, 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 a picture of the Bible. Obviously, home is heaven for the Christian, right? Home is heaven. There is no other home for us. I always joke with people as Christians, we are literally running through the world slapping high fives on our way home. Like, hey, good to see you. Right, come on. <laughs> slapping high fives on our way to the Father. This isn't our home. We are in the world, not of it, right? We are called to be different. But there are times when uh, I think that we lean a little too heavy on uh, heaven's our home, so we don't care about what's going on here. Right? You've got a job to do. You've got people to save. You've got the word of God to spread. You've got to see healing happen. Right? We've got anointings and gifts and callings. We are led to break bondage, break, break people free from bondage. So I don't want you to be so heavenly minded that you're no you, uh, earthly good. But I want you to remember that heaven is really the draw to the Christian. And why does that I mean, it translates to home because God cares about what we're doing down here. It cares about our stewardship of our churches. He cares about the stewardship of our families. He cares about how we do business in public. He cares about how the righteous people of God act, how they treat each other, and what they hope for and what their hope is in. Okay? So, faithful Abraham. This is... Abraham's faith wasn't flawless, but this is God's commentary, and it's pretty straightforward that by faith, Abraham obeyed, okay? So this is kind of, this touched my heart. Uh, it, should be, it gives us a, kind of a demonstration of our faith and how we can believe in what God is doing. Psalm 127 talks about the work of God in building, but this demonstrates our personal response to what God is doing. It's small, but it's powerful. Abraham, he was the hero of Israel, uh, and uh, he's used as an example here. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. An inheritance, some versions call it home. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He waited for a city has, that has which foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham's life today in that picture was in no comparison of God's tomorrow for him. And that matters because Abraham obeyed. Uh, he didn't always obey. He caused some really big trouble. Uh, Abraham messed up pretty, pretty bad, and, and, we're all, and, and the whole world's paying for it. But he was the father of nations. He had been given the most amazing promise. And sometimes that's all you have to hold on to. Dialing it back to your homes. You've got people that you've been contending for, that you've been in the gap, that you've been fighting for, you've been hoping for to see salvation and healing. We have people who are sick that need to be touched by the hand of God. We have people who need freedom from bondage. 
We have people who are looking for a home. But we have a promise that God is faithful, that he is just, that he is righteous, that he is able to do above and abundantly more than we could ever ask. But there's this disconnect between knowing that he can do that in your current situation. And I feel like that's where Abraham was at. He had a promise, but he didn't have a full picture of what he was going to receive or how he was going to receive it. He's just this dude with a huge, huge promise. And the weight of that can be crushing. So you look at a church and you know that the Lord is leading it. The Lord is going to bless it. The Lord is the strength and power behind the assembly. He is the one that touches the body. He's the one that builds the body up. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Lord of hosts leads the body of Christ. He is the king that we're going to receive. You read Revelation, it just sends chills down your shoulders. The white robe, the horse, the name written on the thigh, right? The enemies tear in terror. Where will the people of God will be? We will be consecrated, set apart, holy, and redeemed. Abraham knew that there was amazing things coming like we do. But he also found himself on a journey as a sojourner. He didn't know how he was going to get there. He didn't know what he was going to do when he got there. He didn't know what it was going to look like when he got there. And I feel like the Spirit was telling me that our churches feel the same way. We don't know what it's going to look like when it finally happens for Real Life Church or Praise Fellowship or Fluvanna or Levant or Beam, it doesn't matter. We don't know what it's going to look like when God does what God's going to do. But we're on a journey and we have a promise. Okay? So, by faith, Abraham obeyed. He is the faithful one. When he was called to go out from the place in which he would receive his home, he went out not knowing where he was going. Again, we have no clue what we're doing. We can only be led by the Spirit of God. And if you aren't led by the Spirit of God or seeking that leadership, you are going to be lost in the sauce. I've been there. I'm, I'm there. I, I mean, it happens. It's a, it's a constant thing that we need to keep doing and coming back around, getting low, repenting, asking for forgiveness, getting right with God, and just getting back in the saddle and saying, all right, I messed up. I'm going to keep doing this. Lean back into God. Abraham messed up. He messed up bad. But by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, given the greatest promise of all, the father of, of all generations, and to be the one that reaches the promised land, yet he went through the land of the promise as in a foreign country. He was in the place that God told him, this is what I've given you. You finally arrived. This is incredible. This is everything I promised you. But Abraham stayed as a, a tent dweller. He picked up his tent and 
sojourned across the land. He could have built, he would have been blessed. He could have built a home, a massive city. He could have been, he could have established himself and done so many wonderful things. But it says here that he is as if he was in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs, his son and his grandson. The heirs with him are the same promise. And it says that he waited for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Where I want to land this, what I want you to get out of this, is we are all on a journey. We are following the promises of God. Every one of us have been given promises, spoken into our families, spoken into your missions, and all the things that God's placed inside of you. He's given you visions. He's given you purpose and identity. And we're all on the journey to that promised land. I don't know what that vision is totally for Praise Fellowship or the people of God or us individually, but every one of you are on the way, not just heaven, but while you're here, on the way to a promise that God has for you. And in that journey, you're going along with God, a little clueless, waiting, not sure what's going to happen. It's kind of edgy. People get frustrated and they bail when it doesn't happen the way they, they want it to. But this is a demonstration of faith. He stayed in the pocket. He stayed in and pressed on. And he pressed on knowing that there was a promise. And when he reached the promise, the important part of this is, in this text, God gave this to us. When he reached the land of the promise, he stayed in a tent. And he kept traveling. Why does that matter? Because he knew that there was something greater. Amen. And that greater was the kingdom of God. Well, we're all here, so we're not there. But until you get here, there's a whole heck of a lot of traveling that we need to do down here. And I want you to have the heart of a, a tent-dwelling sojourner <laughs> going through the land of promise. What happens when you get to that point when God says, this is it, praise fellowship, this is it, this is what I have for you. This is the end-all, be-all. What happens, Eric Hamilton, when I give you what you've been asking for? Do you just establish a home and spend your time building it? Because we already know in Psalm 127 that God is the builder of all things that matter. What happens when we get to that spot? What I want to encourage you as a body to do is to remain in your tent and be constantly pursuing the, the promise of God, constantly willing to go along with the flow, constantly willing to bring, like it says, he had Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him to the same promise, bring your families with you. On that journey, come along somebody, become part of their family. Invite them into your house, have dinners. The call to action is, is be community. Abraham went through the land of promise, setting up his tent, hang out for a while, got to know people, told them about the promises and the goodness of God. And even though he was in the promise, he kept going because he knew that there was an eventual promise. And that's the one that no one's got to miss. If they miss that one, the, the consequences are terrible. On your way to the promises that God has for you as a church, as an individual, as the people of God corporately, as the church, we need to be willing 
to hold on to God, have a little bit of reckless faith, and just to keep pitching tents and moving on. Keep pitching tents in faithfulness and move on. The other part of that is, is isn't it amazing that sometimes when you get to that place where the promised land, the promise comes, God's delivered on what you've got, what you've asked for, but the house that you've asked for looks more like a tent. God knows what you need and he knows what you want. He's been asking, you've been, he's been hearing you guys ask, he's been hearing me petition him and beg for things, but when I get there to that place, it, sometimes it feels more like a tent than a home. And that's, that's where it gets weird sometimes. <laughs> that's where you gotta draw deep on the faith. Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as a foreigner, as a stranger. And from one place to another, he sought the heavenly city and maintained faith that God would make good on his eventual promise. He left it in the hands of God to do what God does. He's never left you. He's never forsaked you. He has blessed us all tremendously. And though we have seen some terrible things over the last so many years, man, God has been so good Hindsight 2020, it's the best part of the Bible too. We have the luxury of looking back and seeing the chronicles of the ways of God, right? Can you imagine being Abraham? Like he had all that in front of him, the coming of the Messiah, the king, the reigning king of heaven, the healer, the deliverer. But he had faith in God's promise and plan for him and for his life and for his family, Isaac and Jacob, and where they would go and what they would do, and he was happy to just keep going along with God. He didn't care so much about the home that he had to build for himself. He wanted God to build it. He wanted God to be the architect. He wanted God. He wanted a place, a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's what we all want. Um, and in, in the spirit of that, I, I, want, I, I just realized something actually the other day, uh, yesterday, I think it was, and uh, I was praying into this. And I want you to know that, do you guys know what 2023 is to praise fellowship? <laughs> That's right. 2023 is your 30-year anniversary as a church. Am I right? Because if I'm wrong, I'm just going to bail and go to the next point. Okay. <laughs> I'm a transition artist. I'll be like, so how about those bills? Um, <laughs> so um, 30 years. 2023, Praise Fellowship was planted. That would make 93. I'm so bad at math. Right. Publicly just admitted my failure. Okay. So uh, 2023, 30 years since you've been planted. And... Uh, I was, I was looking into this and I was like, wow, you know, like in the word of God, 30 years is some, that's some powerful stuff. 30 years marks maturity, responsibility, and wisdom uh, in, in a lot of cultures. I, I've, I've been blessed to travel the world. I've seen a lot of things. And uh, it's a, uh, I think that it's from a reasonable amount of time to figure things out, making some mistakes. I think like 30 years, it's where I, if I could eventually, if I could freeze and not keep going, 30 years would be like the best place to be. 
You know, you've got life in you. You physically aren't, you know, you're pretty good. And you've made enough mistakes to know better. People take you seriously. You know, like 30 years is a big thing culturally. But in the Bible, it's a huge year for breakthrough. And I got a couple little bullet points here that I pulled out. Joseph, the 11th child of Jacob, became the prime minister of Egypt after being imprisoned and enslaved. He became the prime minister of Egypt after being a slave in 30 years, right? That's cool. Saul became the king of Egypt at 30. He did great, mighty things. He messed up too, but he did great, mighty things. David succeeded Saul as the second king of Israel at 30 years. Ezekiel was called by God as a prophet at the age of 30. Ezekiel. Jesus started his ministry at 30 years. Now, this isn't like just pick and pluck, pulling things out, like let's justify 30. So is there like some biblical significance to the year of 30? Well, yes and no. But based upon some of these examples, we can rightfully assume that 30 years is a benchmark, at least biblically for uh, several of these examples, of maturity, enthronement, and the beginning of fulfillment. And that's the word that the Lord gave me. I call every one of you in this church to believe that this year is going to be the beginning of maturity in each of us as Christians, as this body, as, a, as an assembly of saints. I, I, I want you to believe that this is the enthronement of the high priest, of the king of heaven in this region. I want you to believe that 30 years is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promises of that journey that God has been leading you guys on since 1993. I want you to pick up your tents, keep moving through, have the heart of a sojourner, just greedy to see the face of God in heaven. And I want you to receive the goodness and the grace that God has for you as a body. And I want to tell you something. I have a little testimony, and I didn't, I don't want to hold you over or whatever, but man, I was here one Sunday morning after I got to preach, and the Lord wrecked me after you guys left. I was in the back, and he wrecked me for this place. I was given an opportunity to feel and to see and to experience a sliver just the tiniest magnet, just the tiniest little bit of the love that God has for you as a body. No human being can carry the weight of God's love for you. You cannot comprehend what he will do at the ends of the earth that he will go for you. It's just not, not as, a, in a, in a, as a congregation, but in your homes. Like we lose sight, we forget. We forget what God is doing and where he's bringing us. And we want things our way and we demand that he builds things that we approve the way we want them. I felt in that corner that we, this isn't you, but we, are living under titles, under identities, and things that he never meant for you to carry. We are owning something that's not ours. We are walking heavily burdened. We are weighted down by the weight of the world, 
he told me in that moment that this body, and this is a word, <laughs> you have felt abandoned at times. You've questioned his plans. You've suffered tremendous loss in your body recently and over the years through loss of friends, through people doing what they need to do through, through separation of people, losing people physically. In the natural, spiritually and emotionally, your faith has been tested in so many ways. But he told me when I was sitting there, like the hair on my, like everything, like you don't really want to hear that, but like the hair was just standing up and I was just like, I could feel his love for you, for all of you. And the only thing I had to communicate this morning is that he sees every one of you. He sees you. He doesn't just see you, he sees into you. He sees your desires and your needs and your wants and your fears and your hopes. He sees everything. There is nothing you're laid out before the King of Heaven. He sees your motives, your intentions. He sees your dreams. And he wants you to know that he is going to make good on his promise. You're gonna be healed. You're gonna be freed. You are going to look more like Jesus. You are going to sound more like Jesus. You have carried such a heavy, heavy burden. And it's time to lay it down. It's time to go into the land of promise. But always remain a sojourner. Someone that's willing to keep going. Don't put your stake down and stop moving. The Lord guides a moving ship. Your mission is never, ever over until you reach the final home that we've been promised. Treat this as your home. Respect one another. Love one another. Lift one another up. Come around one another. Heal together. But don't let it stop there. You have a whole community that needs to resemble what Christ has done in your hearts. The greatest days are ahead of you. Not because I said so, because he said so. The greatest days are ahead of you, praise fellowship. Because the Lord of hosts is here and he's speaking and he's moving and he is not okay with what's going on out there. I want you to go home and love your families. Love your families. And then bring your families here. And then love your family here. And I want this family to go out there and love the parts of your family, our family, brothers and sisters in humanity, who are like the broken ones in our family. Love them with that heart of Jesus. Love them with the weight of a father who would do anything to get to you, who would say anything to lift you up, who would fight and literally battle the hordes of hell 
to see you make it to the kingdom of God. You matter, praise fellowship. And he wants to welcome you home until he welcomes you home. Replicate the love of the Father here like the embrace that you'll receive there. Let me pray. Father God, I just pray over this body. I pray protection. I pray healing. I pray freedom. If any of you have to give anything up to the Lord in order to move on into the land of promise, I, I ask you to do it now. If you haven't given your heart to Jesus right now, there is no other time. Become part of the family and approach the altar with boldness and give it all to God. But Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this body. I pray that you protect him and heal him and just put your mighty hand over this ministry. Touch the mouths of speakers. Touch each and every person in here. Give them a clear vision of what you have for them. The promise, I, I ask the Holy Spirit life, the breath of life to breathe over the promises that have dried up and died out of waiting, out of just being saddened and broken and just feeling like you forgot them, Lord. Breathe over these promises on their hearts and bring life back to them and show them where to go and how to step and how to proceed and how to deliver on what you created them to be. Give them new purpose, new vision, new giftings. I pray, Holy Spirit, pour giftings on this assembly now in the name of Jesus. New things, multiply them, Lord. Give them opportunities in their life to step into your goodness and to show the world the grace and the love that you showed me. Your love is unfathomable. And I just pray that we can replicate that and share that with the world. Be with this body. Lord Jesus and lead them so that we can be one like you and the Father and the Spirit. We just thank you, Jesus. Amen.